Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us or use a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. And welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan, and today on the show, well, it's Kwanzaa Osajefo, isn't it? Well, Kwanzaa stopped by, spoke with our very own Melissa Sercha, and they spoke in depth about his comic book, Black. Uh, if you don't know what Black's about, basically, well, not basically, what it's about <laughs> is that only black people have superhero powers in the world. Uh, it's a very interesting take on the superhero genre. And Kwanzaa talks about how he was inspired by it, why he wrote it, the fact that it's been picked up by Warner Brothers. And so there's going to be a movie, maybe a TV show. I'm not too sure, but they do go into that. And it's very interesting. So why don't you sit back, relax, and uh, take a listen to Kwanzaa Osajefo and Melissa in their own words. Tonight on the show, I'm excited to welcome comic book creator and writer Kwanzaa Osajefo. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here tonight. How are you doing? Not too bad. I mean, the week's just getting started, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Busy week planned. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, that's just any Monday, you know, you never know how things are going to go. So you're kind of like, that's All true. Right, today went well. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's still Monday, even in the apocalypse. <laughs> so I want to feel talk- like that is like a great idea for <laughs> like a short or a comic book. It's like it's Monday, even in the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Feel free to use that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I would love to talk to you, obviously, about your comic book, Black. It's a story that takes place in a world and political climate that's kind of similar to our own. But the twist is that only Black people have superpowers. What inspired this story and what made you decide to set it in a modern world versus like a historical one? I think there's... The inspiration is a culmination of things. One part was my experience working as uh, editor at DC and Marvel mm-hmm. and sort of noticing that there was a lack of people of color, specifically Black people, working at the company mm-hmm. and that that had a direct correlation to why there was a lack of representation in the content. So, you know, it wasn't anything that was Machiavellian or like malicious or anything like that, but it was more of a like lack of perspective and a lack of, you know, people there who had, you know, agency to put characters who looked like themselves into these stories, tell stories about characters that reflected their experience. And there was just this sort of like moment where I realized like, oh, that's, that's something that impacts a thing that like I've always loved since I was a kid. And then obviously like, you know, life affected, inspired that. I mean, just, you know, the experience of being a black person in America mm-hmm. is there's there's a different experience in trying to navigate you know this country and I think that you know it really was about me taking the two things that I loved and kind of you know scraping the veneer off of like superhero stereotypes in order to tell a story that like actually reflected you know our reality a little bit more because the best science fiction you know has that like really solid like hook in reality right Yeah, because, I mean, if you look back over the last, well, since the beginning of time, there is a very one-dimensional point of view. So I think it's really important that 
that not always be the narrative. So I think it's awesome that you have brought that, you know, forward and that more artists like you are doing that. So my hat's off to you for that. Thank you. So your main character, Kareem, what, what are some of the challenges that he has to face after discovering he has these superpowers? So Kareem is an interesting protagonist. I didn't want to write a character who, you know, suddenly had, you know, everything handed to him or because he gained superpowers suddenly had all of the answers. Hey, he's a 15 year old boy who's, mm-hmm. you know, he's just been assaulted and killed by the police, but he comes back to life, finds out he has superpowers. And now he's being like, you know, pulled in different directions by all of these clandestine forces that have, you know, been working to keep it a secret from, you know, the general public for centuries. And when you put a 15 year old in that situation, like the it's not like they have like a wealth of experience to navigate that, right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I really wanted to put what I felt, you know, a 15 year old person would be in that situation. They're kind of like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost like a running start for him where he's just trying to figure out, you know, who these people are, who he's supposed to be in this, what his role is. So I really, you know, thought that could be like an interesting protagonist as opposed to somebody who, you know, gets the magic sword and all of a sudden they can, you know, perform miracles. Right. Okay. And when you were writing this character, did you discover anything new about yourself? Um, I think it was an interesting exercise in exploring a lot of different perspectives that I have as a black person, but also that I don't have because you're trying to write all of these characters who, you know, are generally invested in, you know, their point of view. You know, they believe, Mm -hmm. you know, what, you know, what they're doing is right. So there's antagonists in the story, but not necessarily in my, my opinion, villains. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to like, kind of try and invest myself in, you know, like, the character oh like why he's so adamant about like you know being you know a, a radical and and you know taking trying to you know upset the status quo and like the systems that have been oppressing like his people and then theodore Mann, who you know is just really at his core a capitalist and mm-hmm. just someone who is almost a product of a system where he doesn't really have the moral compass to like care you know what kind of person that is you know Mm -hmm. we if you're on the opposite side of it you 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 can maybe rightfully so call that evil but it's like a person who doesn't have that wherewithal is just operating you know based on their experience right and that's not to absolve them at all but I mean like that's that's kind of where I tried to put my head in order to write those characters that must have been difficult to switch to that you know, that type of point of view where, you know, some of those characters coming from a place of ignorance, for lack of a better word, was that difficult for you to kind of work through? I think it was, it was a struggle sometimes to feel like I was doing it accurately, Mm. you know, because they aren't in a lot of cases perspectives that I have, you know, so at a lot of time I was like, it, it was almost you know, like trying to be a character actor. <laughs> yeah. know, it's like, it's like, all right, I'm going to try and get into this headspace of this character. And like, this is why they would be motivated to do this or that, you know, while not necessarily holding those views, like really and truly, you know, in, in, in myself. So when I write characters, I tend to write these like long psych profiles of them, you know, where I kind of mm-hmm. detail like their past up into the present to dictate how they're going to operate, but also to keep myself honest. You know, when I'm writing them, so I can look back at that and say, like, oh, okay, that character probably wouldn't do that because they experienced this trauma or this is what actually happened to them. So maybe this is how they would react. So yeah. it was it was it was an interesting exercise in trying to play those roles in a sense. Yeah, but did you have to do any type of research for that? I mean, was there did you try to reach out to anybody in those particular types of, of groups to get any kind of clarification or, any, or anything like that? Not for this round. What I really did was I did a lot of reading of, you know, and a lot of studying of the characters who I kind of used 
or the people who I were kind of using as templates for these characters so that I could say like, all right, well, what if, you know, like, you know, Sir Richard Branston was like really evil. <laughs> you know, like, right. What if he was like, you know, like what if he was just like completely amoral or something like that? You know, like, <laughs> like how, you know, and, and I mean, when you're like a, a businessman of any like, you know, like wealth or like capability, mm-hmm. like you kind of are mm-hmm. in a sense, but you aren't. You know, it's it's like it's like you think of somebody like I was having a conversation with a friend a while ago about like Jeff Bezos, and I'm like, you know, he could just end homelessness. Like that would just be like a flex, <laughs> and yeah. it wouldn't put a dent in his wealth at all. And I'm like, I wonder why people don't do that. You know, because I know there's, yep. there's a limit to his lifespan. It's like you're not gonna like live any longer just because you're wealthy. Like you know, right. you're like, why not just do it just to do it? Like. I mean, I'm kind of a petty, like, nice person. Like, I would do it just to be like, ha-ha, U.S. government. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've had a a conversation like this not too long ago as well, where I basically was thinking if all of, if you took like 10 of the world's billionaires or even just the United States billionaires, they could single-handedly, you know, give every single person that's not rich an income through this pandemic. You know what I mean? Like, you know, with the unemployment and all that kind of stuff. But if you took like 10 billionaires could single-handedly do it if they wanted to, but like you were saying, like, why don't they do it? You know? Yeah. And that's an interesting thing to like explore in a character. It's like what, what they do versus what they don't do just as much, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, also, so black was funded by a very successful Kickstarter. And so were you surprised by the outpouring of support? when when you reached your your goal and you got fully funded and then it surpassed it yes i very much was because i had had friends who had done kickstarters before colleagues in the comic industry and i i really thought we were going to be hustling and mm-hmm. we hit our goal our initial goal in like three days so wow. like at wow. the time i had the kickstarter app on my phone and i was like, you know, getting alerts just, you know, to see like, oh, let's see how it's progressing. Like, do I have to like, you know, tweet a little more, Instagram a little more, but it was really three days of it just pinging constantly. And that was really, really gratifying. You know, it, it's yeah. when you put an idea out there in the world, you, you, you hope that it'll resonate with, you know, a few people, but the fact that it resonated with so many people and they were so willing to like have, make us help us make it into reality. It was just, it was really validating. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it sort of like, it's just spread like wildfire essentially. Do you think that was like word of mouth or did you just do an aggressive marketing campaign? I think it was because we managed to get picked up by what was it? I'm not sure if it was like deadline. Like it's, it seems it's like such a blur now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it was like, like a major newspaper picked it up and not just kind of like all of a sudden it started getting picked up by other papers and other outlets. Like it got picked up outside of the comics industry. And I think that's really what made it like kind of explode. Yeah. So it was like media essentially. That's really cool. Do you think you're going to use Kickstarter for like all of your future projects now? Possibly. I mean, we are currently sending out rewards now for the sequel to Black White because, you know, I'm clever. And, <laughs> you know, we had a pretty successful Kickstarter for that one as well. And I've always, you know, been a really big fan of like technology, like, you know, shifting mm-hmm. how we, you know, produce media, how we consume media. And, you know, it, it was a huge game changer, like crowdsourcing, you know, or crowdfunding for, you know, indie creators because you didn't really have to go through a publisher anymore you didn't have to like you know go and make photocopies at like a kinko's <laughs> or whatever are there kinko's anymore but um, I, you know, I know i was like wait <laughs> i don't think there are actually that's great. yeah but that changed you know and and yeah. it's really it's really a good thing to be able to put that out there because i was absolutely prepared to fail you wow. know i really wanted to put the idea out there and let that be the litmus test it's like look if people don't respond to this and they don't back it then i know i can stop wasting my time with it mm. essentially and yeah. then go do a different project but if they like it you know that's the great thing about crowdfunding it like validates the idea yeah 
Well, and I think too, you know, as, as artists or writers, some writer, we, we get imposter syndrome, you know, a lot, no matter how success successful you get, or no matter how many people tell you you're amazing. I think it's just this weird thing. And I've talked to a lot of writers about it, that you just sometimes get imposter syndrome. So you're like, you're just expecting to fail. And then you're like shocked when you do well, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. That's perpetual for me. That's like literally everything I write. I'm definitely a person who, if if I could, I would just go back and rewrite everything that I've ever done constantly. Yeah. You know, cause I'm never feeling like I got it right. So I, I, I think, I think, <clears throat> I think you're probably not a good artist if you don't have imposter syndrome, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like, if you don't question yourself a, at least a little bit, like, I, I feel like that's the thing that like drives you to like, you know, keep digging to keep like searching and like, you know, mm-hmm. extrapolating those like ideas from within yourself is like that, that little bit of doubt, you mm-hmm. know, cause it's not crippling you. It's making you go like, okay, well, what if I keep trying? What if I keep pursuing this thing? You yeah. Know, maybe then I'll feel like I'm really doing it, but never quite getting there. And, I, and it's a weird thing because it sounds bad, but I don't really think it totally is. Yeah. No, that's an interesting perspective on it actually, because yeah, it's the same thing where you, you, push yourself to learn more and grow more if you're doubting yourself. So, you know, whether it's like going to workshops or, you know, reading craft books and, you know, listening to other writers talk, things like that to get advice or just the actual writing to, you know, practice and get better. I think that's, no, that's a good point. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I actually lost whatever I was about to say. So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about Black. How many issues, is that done? Or do you have, how many issues do you have planned for that series? So I had always envisioned Black as a trilogy. So, mm. you know, there's Black and now there's White. And I kind of follow the whole Star Wars kind of trajectory of like, you know, there's New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and mm-hmm. then there'll be Return of the Jedi. So, you know, it, the, the core books are three volumes. And I always felt like that would kind of like be the tent poles of the universe. And so we've done other books in between like black and white. So we did uh, America's Sweetheart, which was a standalone YA graphic novel. And then Widows and Orphans, which is about child trafficking in the wow. Sudan. And then Devil's Die, which um, is about drugs being brought into like, you know, like small uh, PFC communities. And it's all things that like I wanted to tap into because again, like having that seed of like reality to base the fiction off of was always something that was interesting to me. And like, once you kind of like unpack the idea of like, well, what if only black people had superpowers? It's like, well, then there would definitely be a black market for them. And like, you know, <laughs> yeah. since you did, it's like, there might be narcotics that only affect, you know, black people with superpowers, you know, there might be, you know, a young girl who didn't even know that, other black people had superpowers because she was raised by her, you know, conservative adopted family in the Midwest, you know? So (laughs) there's like a lot of angles to explore in that universe that aren't just, you know, what I think people expected black to be, which was, you know, that very uh, amazing cover that Kari Randolph created. Mm -hmm. Like we've tried to, you know, tell stories that explore different genres and perspectives, you know, because black people aren't a monolith. There's like, Mm -hmm. conservatives there's like liberals there's anarchists there's people who don't even subscribe to any of those things Mm -hmm. you know lgbtqia like that's a whole nother like you go yeah that's a completely different yeah totally you have so many possibilities so do you have more spinoffs planned like in development or are they just like ideas floating in your head right now or Ideas floating in my head, like I did come up with the sequel for America's Sweetheart because people really enjoyed that book it was it was an interesting one to do because our publisher, Black Mask, you know, was like, okay, Black was really great. So what's the sequel? And I told him, I was like, well, I want to do this YA graphic novel set in years. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, and it's going to be all in color and it's going to be kind of whimsical and, you know, aesthetic. And he's just like, I don't even understand. I'm like, because you can tell that kind of story in this universe. So let's do that. So I came up with the idea for the sequel to that. So that might be the next one that I work on in the universe. And then we'll see, because the other thing that I wanted to do is, you know, make the universe into a platform. So Mm -hmm. Devil's Die was the first uh, 
book in the universe where I didn't script the entire thing. I just wrote the plot and Vida Ayala, who's been doing a lot of great work over at Marvel. She's about to start writing New Mutants um, over there, wrote that story, you know, and I want to be able to like, you know, kind of pass the baton, you know, after, Mm -hmm. after creating those tip pulls, just like let people have at it, say like, go tell whatever stories in this universe you want. Oh, that's really cool. You know, it's it's kind of, and just using this as a, a, a loose comparison, but when I think of something like The Walking Dead, right? And that world is constantly building. They're always coming up with spinoffs and, you know, new factions and this and that. And I think it's kind of similar to where you have this universe you've created that is, there's so many people in this universe, you know, so many different stories that you could tell going on in like different corners of the world or the country. Yeah, and that and that's the interesting thing about like world building because again, like you're taking the world that we know and you're just like you're, you're just twisting it a little bit. And once you do that, then you're kind of looking at everything around you in the world and saying like, okay, well, all right, if, if only black people had superpowers and nobody knew, like, well, like why was there slavery or like you know why did this happen or why hasn't this happened? You know, mm-hmm. or like you know. Were there any famous black people who had superpowers? <laughs> so like, yeah. didn't even know. <laughs> so I think like once you once you ask that question, it just like opens up like infinite possibilities for storytelling. Yeah, that's really interesting. Did you address any of and if you don't want to give any spoilers away, that's fine. But did you uh, address any of those historical systemic issues, like you just said, with like slavery and you know famous you know jazz musicians from the Harlem jazz era? Did you touch on any of that, or did you just stick to like the modern story? Not yet. I do give some hints to some of the characters' past and like past events. But I've yet to like fully explore like the 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 far past, and those are some of the stories that I do want to spin out around some of the characters who are a bit older. But you know, again, it's also just a lot of fodder for other people to play with too. So yeah. it's just like if somebody has that story in them, like, and King is just like, hey, I really want to tell a story in your universe that takes place in like 1812. I'm like, okay, what's the story? And it's just like. Yeah. No, that's super cool. It sounds really interesting. I can't wait. Everybody get on that. <laughs> so the other exciting news about Black, it's been acquired by Warner Brothers for, I believe, a film. And yes. how how excited are you, first of all? And how much will you be, <laughs> will you be involved in the uh, adaptation? So I'm a co-producer on the film. And it's yes. something that was like really interesting because the day that we launched a Kickstarter, we had an offer for film. Oh my gosh. Like, with within hours and like it that first week, that first day was just like I didn't I didn't have like a lawyer, I didn't have a manager, I didn't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, like my phone's just ringing up at work. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know I don't have a like agent. What? I still don't have an agent. <laughs> I don't I don't know what any of these things are. I just made a comic because I wanted to tell a story. But you know, we had that offer and it really became like this interesting practice of learning to say no to things because Mm. there are a lot of studios like for you know quite some time like really wanting to do this project and you know we ended up working with studio eight who you know put together like you know script and Mm -hmm. you know you know worked on adaptation and then like warner brothers you know and some other people were like looking at the you know looking at it and that was really just like mind-boggling because this is something that I had come up with like almost 15 years ago and, wow. you know, that we had, you know, put out into the world like four years ago and now it's at Warner Brothers. <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah, that's great. Like, <laughs> like, whoa, okay. I, I guess this is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And do you have any idea of, of when that's going to start happening? Is like, is it in pre-production? Or is it being cast? That stuff I cannot talk about. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> <All right. laughs> but it is, it has been, the script has been written and it's, it's, it's Warner Brothers is very excited about it. That's okay. what I could say. That's awesome. We're excited too. <laughs> so we'll just, we'll have to keep look out on your Twitter feed for, <laughs> for the announcement. <laughs> oh no, not my Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get back to white because I am not really sure the the premise. I, I did a little bit of research on it, but I wanted to hear in your own words. 
is this a continuation of Black? Is it a different story or is it um, a sequel? And is it available? So it will be available once all of our Kickstarter backers receive their rewards. So probably sometime next year, maybe I'd probably say early next year if we're you know on our P's and Q's. Of course, mm-hmm. COVID has knocked all of us <laughs> on our heels in terms of production. <laughs> Like it really has. It's like people are just like, "Where's my comic?" I was like, "Dude, we're all locked inside." <laughs> um, all right but, now, I know. <laughs> but white is a continuation of black. It's it's takes place three years after the events at the end of black, mm-hmm. and essentially the world has discovered that only black people have superpowers, and it's all about the United States sort of reaction to that. They elect Theodore Mann as president, and I had written this before current events, so. <laughs> Interesting. (laughs) I don't know what I'm on. Like, I'm a little scared of like, you know, putting the third part out in the world because I'm just like, maybe I just should write it as like (laughs) puppies and kittens. Maybe that's what happened. (laughs) If I can put that into the world, that would be fantastic. But it's really about like that, you know, visceral reaction people have to like that power shift and dynamic and how much, you know, people push back against it. But it's also like, uh, character focus on Theodore Mann's son, who, you know, I describe him as somebody who's, you know, a product of his environment, but his son truly is because he's just been, you know, sort of this molded shadow of his father. And mm-hmm. he thinks that things are supposed to be a certain way, but there's just this, you know, thing, this hurdle, this, this Kareem who's constantly like, you know, showing him up in, in his way. And that's not something that he's used to. And like when confronted with those sort of things, he's just willing to, you know, like bully and bludgeon his way through it and is very frustrated, you know, and that that isn't necessarily getting him the results that he wants. So it was really me trying to explore the idea of like, you know, what if, you know, what if like a Donald Trump Jr. truly had an antagonist <laughs> who's just constantly like pantsing him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and, 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 and not with any sort of malice, but it's just like, dude, I, I keep doing it. Cause you keep coming into my space. <laughs> right. <just> like, <laughs> like, I don't want to do it. Like I'm, I'm trying to live, but you're just being a tool. <laughs> yeah. So, and then with white, so, and then you said there's a third installment because it's a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us anything about that aside from, I know you want it to be puppies and kittens, but. <laughs> <laughs> I can say this, like one of the biggest questions that people have had since, you know, hearing about the book is like, well, how is it that only black people have superpowers? Why do only black people have superpowers? And it's always been my goal to reveal that in the third book and have that sort of be the culmination of the story, but also probably be a catalyst you know, even more so for the universe. And that that's the only thing I can really spoil. Okay. Okay. So the, the big reveal, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's the most important message that you want readers to take away from this trilogy? I always find that to be an interesting question because, you know, I think that people tend to bring their own baggage to anything that they're consuming and take away, you know, mm-hmm. what they will because of that same baggage. You know, I, I, even though I do believe that, you know, literature has a huge ability to, you know, influence and impact people. I really kind of feel like I can't dictate, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> yeah. necessarily what someone take away. I like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily know. I do know that my intention in writing the stories were to, you know, inject more of a Black experience and perspective into the sort of genre that I truly love, mm-hmm. you know, and just, you know, do the sort of things that, like, I always wanted to see more of when I was growing up, you know? Yeah. So for me, the takeaway, the thing that the thing that really gives me joy is when, you know, a, a younger, like, reader uh, black kid or what have you mm-hmm. is excited about the book when they when they when they've told me and i've had this happen enough times where it's like i try not to get choked up anymore <laughs> it oh. it's like they're like i didn't i didn't know there were stories like this out there i didn't know that you know there were characters 
out there that you know looked like me or yeah. spoke like me and that is what i guess is important to me personally mm-hmm. and i'm happy that it gives them some joy and it inspires them and so yeah i guess, i guess that that's it that's it yeah and i i guess i've read that your your books are being uh, taught in schools yeah that's all I, I mean i love it sometimes sometimes I'm, i kind of wince at it when people are like i was like which book <laughs> like, and what grade because I, I do have parents come up you know when I'm doing shows or conventions and you know their kids will like gravitate towards it because you know it's like you know very you know minimalist colors red and black and white and generally like I'll say to parents I'm like look it depends on what you're comfortable with you know I'll give them the whole spiel like this is what the book's about yes there's like you know adult language in it like not particularly too many situations but I mean it's, you know, it's, it's about as graphic as, you know, a, a Marvel movie, okay. you know? Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's also one of the reasons why I wrote America's Sweetheart, because I wanted to, you know, produce stuff in that universe that was, that I felt was actually, you know, all ages appropriate. And so when that one's being taught in school, I'm always like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I'm good with that one. <laughs> yeah. And, and people really love that, that book. So I, I'm, I'm cool with it, but you know, the, Black has also been, you know, part of curriculums in, in a lot of, you know, college literature courses. And that's always been like really wild. You know, I've participated in a, a few class dis- class discussions oh, over cool. the years. And it's 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 always interesting to like listen to people dissect things in a story. Sometimes things where I was just kind of like, oh, maybe I yeah, I totally meant that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I meant to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's what you're saying about it being open to interpretation because you write it with one intention, but then when people read it, they're going to sort of take their own, like you said, baggage and their own, have their own perceptions and their own theories and their own fan. The the fandom essentially is going to be like, Oh, I think this is going to happen. And which is pretty exciting. I think as a creator, do you, do you get a lot of people coming up to you at comic cons and, and kind of giving you their theories of what's going on? Yes, and I try to like stick my fingers in my ears and be like, la la la, I didn't hear that. <laughs> Just in case, like, I'm not, not stealing any ideas or anything like that. But you know, that's the that's the fun part about like this medium and these sorts of characters. I, I think, I think in some respect, like the one thing I wish I had more time for is to like write it as like you know a more decompressed series mm-hmm. because I, I think you know, one thing that's apparent is like people want more of it. Like they already kind of see it as something, you know, in parallel to like an X-Men, but like, I'm about, I don't know, 500 issues, 800 issues short right. of, that, <laughs> of, of that tapestry, you know, where it's like, you know, it, it just, it, those, those characters haven't like existed quite as long, but you know, hopefully it'll get there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's how long has it been out now? I did it. It was like four years ago we did the first Kickstarter and we did the second one two years ago. Okay. And I mean, and I, I would have said a year ago, but I forget about COVID year. So right. I mean, that's where that's where we're all gonna call it now. It's just COVID the, year. The, COVID year. <laughs> the year which we will not talk about ever again. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so that's pretty good. So four four years roughly, and I mean, just imagine you know, how much it's going to grow. And as far as the reader, you know, base as well, you know, especially when the film comes out, because that always attracts new fans, you know, a film comes out, people are like, oh, it's based on a book or a comic, I want to go read it. So you're probably going to see that exponentially grow in the next, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah, I mean, that's been the very, that's, that's been the interesting thing about it, because, you know, it had this sort of like explosive debut, but we've seen more and more fans of the book as the years have progressed. And it's one of the reasons I started you know, going to conventions because you know, people would, it would sell out in comic shops and people didn't have any more copies or, you know, mm-hmm. they just wanted to meet the creative team and what have you. And we were just selling a lot of books at shows. Like I, I go to shows now and like, I leave with nothing and that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, it's like, sweet, I'm going to bring those boxes home. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Usually the last day people are giving them away to you. They're like, please take it. <laughs> yeah. And that's been, that's been so great. Like, 
Like I, I we've sold out sometimes like halfway through a show. That's and awesome. I've had to like kind of like parse stuff out or go home and like take stuff from my own personal stash. Like I'm finally at the point where I don't have a personal stash really anymore. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, that's great because that's I think that's a lot of people you know they fear that like you you fear like you're either gonna have too many and you're gonna look dumb at the end of it with like all of your boxes of books or you fear that you're gonna like run out the first day and then be like what do I do with my table for the next three days <laughs> yeah and that was the thing like the, I think the last time we were at New York comic-con like on Saturday we were just like does anybody want to buy our banners tablecloth because <laughs> that's all we got <laughs> You're like, take table. it. I'll sign it. Take um, it. <laughs> so, but I mean, I don't think, like, I don't think any artist has ever felt like dumb because they had inventory left over. That happened. Like, that's that's just what happens, you know. Yeah. So you have good shows. You have like shows that are weaker. So yeah, no, that's just my own. That's my own thing. <laughs> That was always my biggest fear is uh, is taking too many of my books, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I I mean, if if I could throw out any sort of like pro tip out there, it's just like like don't worry about like selling out. You know, it's like if you like make your table in a little profit, or you know, or you sell out of all of your stuff like in the first day, that's that's a good problem. Go enjoy the city for once. Like that, especially at a convention, it's just like you all, I always find myself, you go to a convention and you're trapped inside the convention all day mm-hmm. in some city you don't live in and you don't get to see the city. So it's like, oh wait, I sold out of my books. Hey, Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a good go. point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I was actually supposed to be at the Seattle one this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that one. I go every year and my best friend lives in Seattle. So we make it a, you know, a fun trip. But last year was my first year and I didn't go and have a table. I just went, you know, to be a nerd and hang out with my comic friends. And I was just like, oh my God, I have to table at this show. Oh yeah. No, it's such a cool vibe there. Everyone's just super friendly. And, you know, I just, I always meet so many cool people when I'm there. It's, and it's such a beautiful city too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you've, speaking of artists, you've worked with some fantastic artists. What's that like collaborating with people who just really get your vision and that you gel with? It's really awesome. But I mean, you know, 10 years as an editor, you you meet a lot of artists. And one of the things that has always been key with me is like, you know, working with people who, you know, I not only respect and like their work, but I like them as people, mm-hmm. you know? And one of the people who I really, really just enjoyed working with so much was Jamal Igel. We had done the Ray together at DC. And like, I was just not, not just blown away by his art, but by his ethic and by his speed. He's a very detailed artist. Oh, wow. Like he is a, he's a true master and his layouts could be comics. Like, like he yeah. just dash something off or you'd be like no we can actually print that <laughs> his <laughs> you know, first draft <laughs> yeah but he's such a craftsman that you know jamal can you know really take you know a scene and and give it life and you know kari is another person who you know i've just always respected and you know loved their work and he like more than over delivered because when i first brought the project to him you know i was looking for you know kari randolph's signature sort mm-hmm. of cover you know and his style is very unique you recognize his art when you see it and one of the things that he told me after reading you know like the the, the script was now i have something different in mind he's like i he's like just if you trust me it, it's going to be dope and i was just like well but you know i really you know wanted to do something for the streets you know yeah. and it's like that kinetic <laughs> hip-hop art that you do he's like he's like no no i don't i don't think this is that he's like just just it's I'm just going to say one word to you, Banksy. And uh, once he said that, I was like, okay. And then he delivered that iconic cover that l- literally set the tone for the rest of the covers in the series. Because once he did that, like I just kind of got the ball rolling for like, oh, okay, this is, this is the statement that we're making. Okay. Right. So the next cover is going to be this. And then the next cover is going to be this then. Like, it's almost like he never should have like uncorked that genie that's no that's so cool that you said that that's total banksy vibe like i never i was like where have i seen this sort of similar feel before that's really cool yeah and so for the covers to white 
you know, we went with like, you know, World War II propaganda, Russian propaganda posters. Oh, wow. So that's kind of the aesthetic for those covers, because we really just wanted to capture those two different sorts of realities, you know, different Mm -hmm. sorts of like tones for the books. I don't know what we're going to do for the third one. Uh, maybe a Justin Bula vibe or something, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll just do watercolors. <laughs> watercolors. <laughs> something totally different. <laughs> Again, puppies and kittens. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because like the, the other thing that we had done, so the cover to issue four of Black, we had come up with that, you know, very early because we kind of did all the covers like, you know, together like right away mm-hmm. and so the cover to four which people have coined honky kong is <laughs> i'm not i did not give it that name but i love that name i was like <laughs> i wish i had come up with that myself but you you guys said it i'm just repeating your That's words pretty funny but we had come up with that cover as sort of a joke because it was prior to the election of 2016 and you know it was meant to you know make the statement that it was making but not with the end not with any sort of intent that you know donald trump would become actually become president right and it actually hit the shelves the day he took office so i was just sort of like i don't know if i'm tapping into some sort of like future sense or other universe like again puppies and kittens on the next i know i was gonna (laughs) say (laughs) it's starting to get nervous here (laughs) yeah well i mean with everything that's happened you know specifically this year, just because everything's sort of, I don't know, I guess because we're at home and we're been quarantined. So everything feels like it's in our faces more than it, you know, it's ever been, particularly with with politics and with police brutality. Do you feel like it's important to you to use your platform and storytelling to sort of amplify those voices and not just in creating stories, but also in encouraging you know, other young artists to pick up the pen or the, you know, and to do what you do as well. Well, if anything that I do encourages young people to like, you know, make comics and I'm all for it. Like that's, you know, seeing other people like myself do it is what inspired me to do it. As far as politics go, I mean, there's, and, and I don't think there's any apolitical comics out there really, it's maybe aside from like, you know, stuff from Scholastic, like Dogman, <laughs> you know, like, and, and maybe they are, because I've never read Dogman, so I could be wrong. But, you know, I, I think, I think there's this misconception that, you know, there was ever a time where comics were, weren't political, mm. but things in them are politicized. Like, from my perspective, like, I'm writing stories from the Black experience, and the Black experience is one that has a very, you know, abuser oppressed relationship with with the police like that's mm-hmm. just a fact you know so yeah for me it would be difficult to write a story about a young man like this in the environment that he is in and not have something like that happen like I could write it so that it doesn't happen but I don't feel like that would be authentic and true to that experience because that's that's a reality for a lot of people but people consider that politics whereas like there's nothing political about it that's just a reflection of reality yeah but when you think about just the idea of like superheroes as a concept, it's like, that's vigilantism. That's a political response to society. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the individual putting on a cape or putting on a mask and deciding to take the law into their own hands, which is technically illegal. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's the sort of thing that like you accept it because it's fantastical, but when all reality, you know, these individuals would be, you know, sanctioned by the government arrested or they should be or if they're not why aren't they you know so Mm -hmm. there there is no comic out there at least the ones that we're used to reading especially superhero stuff that aren't political in some vein i mean when you think about some of the best like biggest stories in comics history it's just like you know you you can't say that like watchman wasn't political that would be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> be ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you can't you can't even say that like like Marvel Civil War was political. It's called Civil War. <laughs> so right. Like, right. No, exactly. And I think what's interesting too is when you when you read comics when you're a kid, you you just you don't see that aspect, you know, at least, you know, growing up in in my generation, I'm Gen X. So, you know, you're kind of sheltered from that kind of stuff. And then when you get older and you 
reread a comic, you're like, oh, I get it now, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's because politics has been used as like this sort of like, you know, sort of code word for something like that's, you know, has ill intentions. But when you think about, you know, just being a child, there's a politics of the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a hierarchy. There's like groups that have powers and groups that don't. Like there's right. injustices. So true. Yeah? And 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 I think that's why like young people will read comics and you know have some sort of like connection with them because they they see those injustices and they live out those power fantasies through those characters because those things are actually a real part of their existence. So it, it, again, it's interesting for people to make any claim that like you know my my comics are more political than any other ones because I'm like right. I I really don't see how that's that's true. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. Awesome. So if you could go back in time and give your teenage self a piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, man. I don't know, because I'm such a sci-fi nerd that like, I feel like the minute you said that, I was like, oh, now we're going to do butterfly effect? Like, I don't know. Like, like, I'm going to go Ashton Kutcher this out. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like I would just give myself a lottery number. Maybe that's set the time <laughs> continuum. Then, <laughs> right, but then who knows what that would do? Because then I could become some like rich prick. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I think the advice that I would I would probably give myself is to start writing my ideas sooner. Mm, you know, yeah. or or like putting them together sooner and and pitching. But even that, when I just said that out loud, I'm like, no, because then. I might have just ended up pitching to like publishers and like, yeah, I might, you know, at this stage in my life be like some big notable writer, but I'd be a big notable writer who's just doing, you know, Marvel or DC work and I never would have created Black. So, right. it, it, you know, it, it's, again, this is me being a nerd. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no. oh my God, there's just there's too many possibilities, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that when I was formulating the question, but no, yeah, your, your sci-fi brain has got me thinking now. <laughs> uh, it's a legit question. I just nerded it to death. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. That's great. That's the best answer. <laughs> Okay. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to, to be where you're at and, and to have success and, and, and to start a career in, in comics? I would say just, just pick something and, and do it. That was the best advice I got because I've got so many ideas for so many different books. And it's funny because Black wasn't even originally on my top 10 list of stuff that I wanted to do. Mm. But, you know, I got the advice, like, just pick one and do it. You know, yeah. because you'll spend more time spinning your wheels and trying to perfect something like black's not perfect. You know, it's just the thing that I decided to do. And I feel like any piece of art, you put it out there and and let the world just kind of have it and and keep moving, you know, okay. working yeah. on your next piece, working on your craft. Nice. Yeah. I like how you describe yourself as the creative architect. <laughs> I really like that. What does that mean to you specifically? Oh, it's funny because it was a term that was, it's, it's an actual job title because I was hired by the French publisher Humanoids to create a universe for them. They wanted mm-hmm. to sort of bring, bring their sensibilities into the American publishing world. And so I helped put together three of their tentpole books and kind of create like the Bible and the rules for that universe. And the role was creative architect. And I was just like, oh, I like that. that that's, that's a good title. I'll take it. And, you know, it, it's, it's one that, like, I'd like to apply to any of the other work that I do from now on. Instead of author, it's like, oh, creative architect. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I saw that on your, on your profile. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, no. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to chat with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks again for having me on. This has been great. Yeah, I know it's been awesome getting to know more about you and your career. Everyone, please go check out Black and other fantastic comics over at blackmaskstudios.com. And yeah, thanks so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure. It really has been. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.
Okay, we're back. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Tell us what you thought. Give us a little comment down below or, you know, you can reach us at spoilercountry at gmail.com and give us all your thoughts if you so choose. We're also on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, all the social media stuff. Uh, If you want to hear more like this, then I highly suggest going over to spoilerverse.com and just just check us out. There's a lot there. Uh, There's a lot of back issues is what I like to call them of tons of amazing people tons tons you'll be shocked with people there I mean Tommy Chong interview is back there and Robert Wool and Eric Larson and oh my god the list just goes on Walt Simonson Louise Simonson the list goes on and on and on and I really highly suggest you go back there and check it out you can also on our website spoilerverse.com check out other podcasts like Bridging the Geekdom and funny book forensic and gunslinger narrative i mean there's just so many i can't even list them all misery point radio i'll forget more than i remember it's 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 unreal it's none of it's behind a paywall yet (laughs) so have fun with that and check out all that you can because it's a lot of fun uh, if you so choose and you like what you're hearing, you like what we're doing, maybe click that store link, order yourself a t-shirt, you know, a hoodie or something. Make yourself look fly as hell. It just keeps the lights on. Helps us out. And uh, yeah, that's a show. I'm going to let you guys go on that. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Hope to hear from you again. And don't forget, in an ocean's of podcast, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more.